Uh, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you like it is every single Sunday, and uh, happy to be with you today. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Psalm chapter 84. Psalm chapter 84 is um, where we're going to be today. And as you're turning there, let me just take this opportunity to uh, just reiterate what's already been said, that it is uh, wonderful to worship with you all this morning, every single one of you, um, even if you're new with us today, here for the first time, thank you for joining us. It's a, a blessing week in and week out to have new people um, visiting and, and joining us for our worship services. We are a church that exists to help people know Christ and to make him known, and that's why we're here, and we are glad that you're here. And uh, I also just want to say that for some of you, you're not new to our church, but it's almost like you're new to the UBC like main sanctuary because you've been worshiping at UBC East for the past several months. And uh, I miss seeing your faces over here. So it's awesome to, to be able to be here with everybody uh, at the main campus again today. If you're online joining us, um, thank you for joining us online as well. Uh, today you're joining us on a very important date because today is the anniversary of when Rachel and I had our first date together many years ago, right? So um, I thought about that last night. Yeah. Oh, well, hey, yeah. Thank the Lord. Yeah, there we go. I'll clap with you. Um, it was, uh, there was a big group of us, I don't know, 20 or 25 people. And, um, you know, we all, I was in a singles group at that time. And I was like, all right, guys, let's, uh, let's all kind of find a, somebody we want to ask out and plan this big group date. And so for years, I had known about this girl named Rachel Hamilton. And she uh, was always, you know, taken. And so I kept waiting, like, when is she going to be single so I can ask her out? Finally, she got single. A friend set us up. It was awesome. We went on this group uh, date together. Um, I was in ministry at that time, and I thought to myself, all right, I got to test this girl out and see uh, how she does with the Lord. So on this first date, we uh, decided we were going to go to a Christmas uh, service at a different church, you know, a distance away. And and I wanted to see how she would handle that on a first date. And, and she did just fine. Um, but turns out, like, I didn't really make a good choice because, you know, years, just a few years after that, that church became totally heretical and uh, went down a wrong path. And um, it, was, uh, it was crazy. Uh, but Rachel and I had a great time on that first date. We went out to lunch or to dinner. And uh, we decided we'd be a little risky and be like, okay, I'm going to pick her meal and she's going to pick my meal and we'll see what each other picked. You know what Rachel picked for me for my first meal? She picked cheeseburger soup, okay? Cheeseburger soup, which for me, I was like, I'm in on this girl. She's picking cheeseburgers, it's on, right? And so from there on, here we are 18 years later, we're still together, and I, this morning, feel like a very blessed man. Um, we, I say that all to say because I think right now is a season of life where many of us are, you know, counting our blessings, we, we talk about being blessed, the Christmas season is a, a time for um, all of us to really talk about the blessings in our life. I know that for some of us, it's hard to go into the Christmas season feeling super blessed. We addressed that in the uh, sermon last Sunday. So I know that this can be a heavy-hearted season for some people, but for many of us, um, the whole idea of blessing is common in our language. And so this past week, I went on my social media pages and started doing a little search for hashtag blessed, just to see what would come up in my search. Well, as you can imagine, all sorts of interesting things came up. You know, almost every one of the search results that came up had a picture with it. Some of them were 
Uh, not what you would expect, like, you know, one picture was of a, a person with, a, with, their, with their cat with a little Santa Claus hat on. Blessed, you know, hashtag blessed. Another person was a, a lady out in the woods and her camouflage deer holding up the antlers of a dead deer that she had just killed in the woods. Hashtag blessed, you know? So those are, I got to amen for the, for the dead deer. Okay. Uh, but then the other stuff, you know, that came up was like the typical stuff you would think of. Like, of course, you have the obligatory like sports people like, oh, I got this award, you know, praise God, you know, blessed. Then you have other things that are kind of more special, you know, um, grandmother sitting on a rocking chair holding a newborn grandbaby, uh, somebody at the beach, you know, um, you know, with pictures with the oceans, you know, ocean front out in front of them, pictures of families with their little kids gathered around the brightly lit Christmas tree. You know, those things uh, were all there. And I think here's the point, you know, we feel, we feel blessed when life seems to be giving us everything we ever wanted. We feel blessed when life seems to be giving us everything we ever wanted. But when I did that search for hashtag blessed, there were a few different posts that caught my attention for other reasons. They had nothing to do with life on a beach. They had nothing to do with family gathered around the Christmas trees and nothing to do with smiling faces everywhere. Um, One of the posts was about a woman posting about her hope of heaven because she had just been diagnosed this week with stage four cancer and she felt blessed because she knew where her soul would be for eternity. Another video reel came up that was a group of men singing, How Great Is Our God, from prison. Right? My point is that being blessed isn't about life giving you everything you've ever wanted. You can be blessed when life is giving you nothing you've ever wanted. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the blessing of God. We're going to talk about today as we look at Psalm chapter 84. We're continuing our sermon series um, called Christmas in the Psalms. And in this series, we've been looking at different passages from the Psalms to really get our hearts focused on the Lord as we go into Christmas season. Um, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 145, where we talked about giving God the gift of praise in a season when we give people the gift of things, right? We talked last week from Psalm 42 and 43 about how to have hope in God in a, a season when really there's full of sadness. Um, and then, you know, today I want to talk to you about experiencing the blessing of God's presence in a season when you feel distant from Him. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we get into our text, I want us to, to remind us of just one basic thing, again, about Psalms, right? When we read chapters from the book of Psalms, what we're doing is we're reading songs, right? This, the book of Psalms is like a song, a song book, and Psalm chapter 84 is one song. It has three different stanzas. Each of the stanzas is divided by a word that we read often in the book of Psalms. It's a word called selah, which means to pause or rest or take a break. And so based off the use of selah, we can see that you know, these stanzas are arranged in a particular way, and each of these stanzas, um, the psalmist mentions a specific statement about what it means to experience the blessing of God, all right? So this is a three-stanza song, and this song is all about experiencing the blessing of God's presence in a season when we feel distant from Him. Let's read the text. You can follow along in your own Bible or on the screen behind me. The scripture says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. 
Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And then there's a Selah break between the first stanza, now going into the second stanza. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And here's the break between the second and the third and final verse. Verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is God's good word for us this morning. And like every Sunday, I'm just happy to be able to open it with you and learn from him today. So as we look at this passage, I just want to talk with you about two things today. I want to talk to you about what the blessed life really is. And then I want to talk to you about the ways that we can experience it. Okay, so what the blessed life really is and then the ways that we can experience it. And my prayer is that this passage will encourage you today if you are in a season where you feel kind of distant from the Lord. Because I know that every Sunday when we come to church, we all come with various life experiences and circumstances that you know we kind of bring in with us when we come into this room. Some of you come in today and you feel close to the Lord. You are sensing his closeness. You, you feel him moving in your heart. Maybe, maybe this is the closest you've ever felt to the Lord in your life. And you're sensing his presence in you in a strong way. So you're here and you are ready to worship and your heart is open and you're looking forward to receiving the truth from God's word. Maybe that's you today. There are probably some others in this room today, though, who maybe you don't feel as close to the Lord as you have in the past. Maybe you have memories of times in your life where you were very close to the Lord, but they just seem super distant from you right now. You're not doubting his existence. You, you firmly believe in the Lord, but if you're honest, you're just longing for that closeness again, okay? And if that's you, I just want to tell you, Psalm 84 is for you. It's for you, and my prayer is that it will speak to your heart today. So let's look first at what the blessed life really is. And at the risk of being uh, too obvious, I'll just say it this way. What we learn from this psalm is that the blessed life is life with God. The, the, the real meaning of a blessed life is life with God. And in our text from Psalm 84, you can see that having the presence of God, being in the presence of God, is the thing that the psalmist is longing for more than anything else. You can look at verse 1. He says this in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. That word lovely means desirable, right? He, he wants to be in the place wherever the Lord is. Verse two, he says, my soul longs, it yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. And so the courts of the Lord is a reference to the temple in Israel. And in the temple of, of Israel is where the Lord dwelt, where his presence dwelt among the Israelites. And the, the psalmist wants to be there. He faints to be there. Verse 3 says this, even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. You know, 
at first glance, it's kind of maybe kind of hard to understand what's this verse talking about. Well, birds, sparrows, you know, being at the altars of God, finding their home there. Like, what, what's that all about? Maybe you can think about it this way. Um, at my house, I have, um, I have this one gutter and downspout where birds love to nest. Anybody else have that problem at their house? You know, the birds just year after year, they migrate there. You know, I have tried hard to remove them. Uh, embarrassing ways to remove them. Sometimes I've thrown rocks at them. Uh, sometimes I've taken my leaf blower and put it in the bottom of the downspout and tried to blow the air up and blow the nest of the birds out of there somehow. Uh, one year I actually even took bird seed and threw it up on the roof of my neighbor's house trying to get the birds to go over there. <laughs> so, um, it was a long time ago, okay? Like it was, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the birds stay, you know what I mean? They just keep staying. They don't go away. It's like they just keep coming back over and over again. And uh, they just make their nest right outside my boy's window of their bedroom. And so here's my point. When I'm away, the birds are closer to my family than I am. So it would be the honest desire of my heart to say, you know what? I long to be where the birds are. And that's something similar to what the psalmist is writing here. in In the temple of Israel, birds would make their nests in the corners where the walls and roofs would meet and mother birds would, you know, make a home for themselves and for their young. And, and so the homes of those birds were literally in the presence of God's dwelling place, right? So the psalmist is saying, I long to be where the birds are. I long to be at home. Where? In the presence of the, of the Lord. And so when, when God brings you to himself, you start to realize that being in his presence is better than being anywhere else in the world. What does he say in verse 10? In verse 10, he says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Um, I guess what, what he's saying there is, you know, he would rather be a servant, like a doorkeeper, He would rather be a servant in God's house than have his own home in the place of the wicked. This is where he feels at home. He wants to be there wherever the Lord is because one day with God is better than a thousand days elsewhere. One day with the Lord is better than being any amount of days anywhere else, right? It's better than one day on the golf course. It's better than a day out on the boat. It's better than 10 days out on the beach. It's better than 90 days of summer vacation, right? It's better than years worth of retirement traveling the world, right? There is absolutely nothing wrong with all those places and enjoying those places, um, you know, in that the Lord has given us in this world. But here's the thing, man, as people, we have a tendency to believe that a thousand days in places like that, that that would equate to the blessed life. But the truth is that you could spend a thousand days in those places and still have an unresolved longing in the deepest part of your heart. Why? Because the longing of your heart is to be close to God. For the believer, being in the presence of God is far better than being anywhere else. So what is the blessed life? The blessed life, the truly blessed life, is life with God. Now, that's the first question. Here's the second question. How do we experience it? How do we experience the blessed life? I know that many of us, you know, we, 
Many of us would say, you know, I, I know God is with me. You believe he's omnipresent. You know that he's here with us right now. You know that God is present in your life. And the scripture says that he is a friend who sticks closer to the brother. The scripture says, you know what? He is with me, you know, wherever I go. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. You know that to be true, but how do you experience it? And most of us default to saying, you know what? We experience the presence of God by doing our daily Bible reading and our daily times of prayer, and we automatically default to devotional life. And that's true. Part of experiencing the presence of the Lord is to have a steady, consistent time with Him each day. But this passage teaches us that God makes His presence known to us. He shows up in our lives in some different experiences. And that's what I want us to see today in this text. The psalmist wants us to experience the blessing of God in ways that maybe we're not um, thinking about when we think about his presence, okay? So let's look at this. We experience the blessing of God's presence at three times. First of all, it's when we lift our praise to him for who he is. When we lift our praise to him for who he is. Verse four of chapter 84 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house doing what? Ever singing your praise. So what we can see right away is that the psalmist has a a desire to be in the presence of God singing to him. And, And he can sing to the Lord because he knows who his God is. He talks about specifically about who God is in a couple ways in these verses. In verse one, he he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. So he uses this title for the Lord, uh, Lord of hosts. He uses it in verse 1, verse 3, verse 8, verse 12. He uses the, the phrase Lord of hosts. And you've probably heard it as if you've read your Bible, but do you know what that means, that God is the Lord of hosts? It means that the, he is the Lord of angel armies. He is the Lord of angel armies. So what he knows and what we need to know is that our God He exists in the heavenly realm, right? He is not limited to time and space the way that we are. Yes, this physical world is absolutely important to him and he cares about what's going on here, but he rules and reigns in the spiritual realm, right? Let's not forget that at his command, he can send thousands of angels. In his presence, heavenly beings bow down to him and cry out, holy. At his birth, choirs of angels sang, right? Praise be to our God, because why? He is Lord of hosts. The second thing that the psalmist says is he praises him, not just because he's the Lord of hosts, but also because he's the living God. He calls him the living God in verse two. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to who? To the living God. See, we have to remember that the psalmist is writing in a day and age where all the nations around Israel had false gods, pagan gods, idols, And he's saying, our God is not a lifeless statue. He's not um, a graven image made out of stone like the other nations worship. He's saying, our God, my God is alive. He is everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's alpha. He's omega. You know, he's, he's not dead. He is the king. As 1 Timothy 1 says, he is immortal. He is invisible. And here's the thing, if you know him, if you actually know this God, then you know he's alive in your heart. He is alive in your heart. You can sense his presence. So who do we worship this morning? We worship the living God. We worship the Lord of hosts. And the God we praise is the same God that the psalmist prays. And um, here's, here's what I want us to see as the psalmist is lifting up his praise, longing to lift up his praise to 
um, the God that he knows. For the psalmist, choosing to praise and longing for the presence of God can coexist. In other words, he, he chooses to worship God even when he feels distant from God. So brothers and sisters, I just I want to say it plainly to you. This Christmas season, sing. Praise the, pra- praise the Lord that you know. Praise the living God. Praise the Lord of hosts. Lift up your voice and honor him. Even, even if you're in a season where you feel distant from him, choose to praise him because we experience the blessing of God's presence when we lift our praise to him for who he is. That's the focus of the first stanza of Psalm 84. Here's the focus of the second stanza. The second stanza teaches us that we experience the blessing of God's presence when we find our strength in him when we're weak. We find our strength in him when we're weak. In those moments of weakness, in some way, God shows up and makes his presence experienced by us, okay? Chapter 84, verse 5 says, blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. I think that's a really interesting phrase, in whose heart uh, are the highways to Zion. Here's what the psalmist means. The psalmist is basically saying, if you want to experience the blessed life, the blessing of God's presence, then get your heart moving to God. Point your heart, direct it to God. The problem is this, right? The, the world um, doesn't tell you to move your heart toward heaven. The world will tell you, you can find heaven in your own heart. Just, just follow your heart. Just look within. You do you, right? Just follow your heart. We hear it. I say this, and, and the, the scripture says this, only follow your heart if your heart is on the highway to heaven. Only follow your heart if your heart is pointing you to God. When we are weary, when we are weak, when we are in need of strength, you got to really think about this. Where does your heart run? Does it run to the things of the world? Does it run to the people of the world? Does it run to uh, other circumstances that are around you? Or does your heart travel on the highways straight to the Lord? Does it make a beeline to God? If not, then you need to do what we've talked about for the past several weeks here. You need to preach to your own heart saying, heart, turn to God. Heart, run to God. And when you do, here's what happens. Look at verse six. Verse six tells us what happens when our hearts run to the God of heaven. It says, as they, talking about people, people who have pointed their hearts to heaven, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Right? That's verse six. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. You know what the valley of Baca was? The valley of Baca was like a, a desert region. It was an arid place. It was, it was dry and the reality is that in times in our lives, you and I know this, like we're going to go through times in our lives where we feel like we're in a dry season. We feel like we are in a desert spiritually. The, our spiritual lives are not always this life of, of festivity and joy where it's like, you know, the sun is shining and we're the sand on the beach, right? It's more like the sun is beating down on us and we're in the sands of the desert. And sometimes we're going to feel weary that way. Yet when our hearts have made a beeline to heaven. When we direct our hearts on the highways to God, then what does God do? God meets us in the desert place. He meets us in the dry seasons. And when he meets us, who is he? He is the living water that we can drink from and never thirst again. He is the one who 
is not a broken cistern like the things of the world. When we run to the things of the world, it's like trying to take a drink, the scripture says, out of broken cisterns. We don't, it can't even hold refreshing water. Yet the Lord himself is the place where we find living water. And we can drink of him in our dry seasons. Verse 7 describes the refreshing work of the Lord this way. Verse 7 says that people who are, are meeting God in the valley of Baca, it says that they will go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. What does it mean that they go from strength to strength? Well, think about it this way. Um, think of it like running a race. You know, last year, right before Thanksgiving, my son Gideon and I trained and we uh, were committed to run like a five-mile race around Thanksgiving time, which for some of you, a five-mile run is just like a warm-up, you know, but for guys like me, like it took some serious training, okay? And so, you know, you know how it goes when you're, when you're training to run a race. You're obviously pushing yourself to run longer and longer distances at faster and faster speeds. And, and so when you find yourself getting worn down, one of the things that, you know, you start to tend to do is you start to set markers for yourself. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop till I get to this, uh, this corner of this road. Or I'm not going to go till I get to that tree up there. I'm not going to stop until, you know, I get to this next thing that's in front of me. And you just keep pressing on marker by marker. And the more markers you cross, the closer you get to the finish line. And the more, you know, you get close to the finish line, the more you actually realize like, man, I thought I was going to quit back then. I've made it this far. Uh, it, I'm going to be able to finish this race, right? In other words, in those moments, as weary and as tired as you're feeling, you're moving from strength to strength until you finally appear at the finish line. And that's what the psalmist is talking about here. God's strength shows up in your life moment by moment at the time you need it, and he carries you through. Because the truth is that in, in the race of life, you and I are going to go from hardship to hardship. We're going to get tired. We're going to get worn down. There are going to be times when we despair of life and we wonder if life's worth living. We're going to think about quitting it all, right? We're going to, in those moments, it can feel like God is so distant from us. Yet it's in those exact moments that God shows up. He doesn't show up earlier, but he never shows up late. And in those moments, he carries us through right at the moment we need it. Some of you have heard of a woman named Corrie Ten Boom. She is um, kind of famous for her experiences within the Nazi concentration camps years ago, and she wrote an autobiography, and in her autobiography, she talks about God's timing and the way he shows up um, in our moments of weakness, and she recalls this interaction that she had with her dad when she was about six years old. Corrie, he began, when we go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? Well, just before we get on the train, she says, to which her dad replied, exactly, and our wise father in heaven knows when we're going to need things too, so don't, don't worry about running too far out in front of him, Corey. The point is, is that God knows what you need at the exact moment that you need it, and he will give you the grace and the strength that you need in the moment. Each time he shows up, we move from what? From strength to strength. And it's his strength, not our strength, that carries us on. And you know what that does? It builds a confidence in us that he will carry us all the way through to the finish line. He will carry us even through this race, even through the challenge of death to the point where he takes us all the way home. And we, as the psalmist says, appear to him in heaven. 
Brothers and sisters, if you are in a season of weakness, find your strength not in yourself. Find your strength in God. Why? Because He can do everything that you can't. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes and says that His strength is made perfect. His power is made perfect in my weakness. His grace is sufficient. God never said that our strength was sufficient. He said that His strength was sufficient. So we put our strength, we find our strength in the Lord. So we experience the blessing of God's presence right in those moments when we find our strength in Him, right in the moments when we're weak. That's the focus of the second stanza of Psalm 84. And here's the third stanza of Psalm 84. Here's its focus. We experience the blessing of God's presence, finally, when we put our trust in Him for our needs when we put our trust in him for our needs. Verse 12 says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who does what? Who trusts in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the call of the third stanza is to trust in the Lord. We're experiencing the blessing of God. He, he shows up in our lives when we trust him for our needs. Verse 11, right before this, the psalmist wrote, and he said that the Lord is a sun and a shield. The sun shines a shield shelters. The sun gives, a shield guards. And the psalmist is saying that God does both. He, he provides and he protects, right? Charles Spurgeon talked about this passage and, and God as a sun and a shield. He, he said it this way. He said, God provides us with a sun for happy days and a shield for dangerous days. A sun above and a shield around. Blessed are those who travel with such a convoy. Let me tell you something, Christian, you have God in your life. If you have him as your son and as your shield, you are blessed to travel this life in the convoy in the presence of God. There's no greater traveling partner that you could have than God himself as your son and your shield. He will protect you and he will provide for you. Speaking of God's provision, this is what the psalmist says about God's provision. Look at verse 11 with me. He says, no good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing? Man, that... That's a truth that's hard to believe sometimes. When you're in a season of feeling distant from God, man, you can, isn't it true sometimes you can feel like he's holding out on you? You look around and you see other people's lives and you don't have the things that they have. You're asking God for something that you believe is very good and it's not coming into your life. So you can say to yourself, God, how do I square this? When, when you say, no good thing are you gonna hold up, you're gonna withhold from people who are walking uprightly with you. Lord, I'm walking uprightly as best I know. I'm following you. I'm living my life for you. I'm not holding on to any sin. I've got a clean conscience before you. Why aren't you letting this good thing come into my life? How do we square that with this passage? We have to learn that there's a big difference between no good thing and nothing. The Bible does not say he will withhold nothing from those who walk uprightly. He says he will withhold no good thing. How can we understand that? Maybe one of the best illustrations I can give you is to think about a child with allergies, all right? My, my son, Johnny, of all things, he's allergic to strawberries, okay? Like, strawberries are a great thing, right? And, and we don't have to withhold strawberries from all of our kids, but we do have to withhold it from Johnny. Why? Because it would harm him if he ate them. So good parents sometimes withhold desirable things from their kids. Why? Because they love them. So God, like the son, 
provides all good things, but God, like a shield, protects us from harmful things. He is our son. He is our shield. He is our provider. He is our protector. And what that means is that we can trust him even when we're not getting the thing that we want that we think is so good. We can trust him even when somebody else is getting the thing that we want that we think would be so good for us. We can trust him because he may just be protecting us from something that might be good for somebody else, but it would be harmful for us. We experience the blessing of God's presence when we put our trust in him as our son and as our shield. So, my question for you today is, are you in a season where God feels distant to you? Are you in a season of really longing for his close presence? If so, then we have lessons to learn here from the psalmist in this chapter. We experience God's presence, that presence we long for, Yes, we can experience it in our Bible reading and in our prayer times, and we can experience when we gather for a church service, but the scripture says this, we will also experience the blessing for God when we lift our praise to him for who he is, when we find our strength in him in the moments when we're weak, and when we put our trust in him as our shield and as the sun in our moments of need. Guys, when you do, you will experience the presence of God in fresh ways. Now that's the lesson, that's the takeaway for those who know God today. For those of you who have the Lord in your life, you're saved, but you just maybe feel a little distant from God right now. That's for you. However, there may be some of you in this room who are like, you know what? I don't know if I know him. If, it's not really so much that God feels distant from you right now, it's just he's always felt distant from you. You don't, you, maybe you've never really experienced his closeness and his presence in your life. If that's you today, then what I want to say for, to you is this. Experiencing the presence of God starts with you knowing him personally. The psalmist in our text has come to know God personally. In verse 3, he says, God, you are uh, my king. You are my God. In verse 10, he calls him my God again. So like the psalmist, the question for you today is, you know, really, do you know God personally? Do you use personal pronouns when you talk about God? Is he just God out there or is he my God? Is he not just the king of the world or is he my king? Is Jesus the savior or my savior? Is Jesus the Lord or my Lord? That's the question. The Christian life starts, experiencing God in the Christian life starts with having a personal relationship with him. So how is that personal relationship obtained? How do you have that personal relationship with the Lord? How do you get it started? The psalmist has given us hints to that answer all through this chapter. All through this chapter, he's been referencing temple language. Verse two, he says, he talks about the courts of the Lord. Verse three, he talks about the altars of the Lord. Verse 4, he talks about the house of the Lord. Verse 10, again, the courts and the house of the Lord. Here's what the psalmist knew. The psalmist knew he could experience God's presence in the temple. But the temple is different for us now than it was for the psalmist then. Because about a thousand years after this passage of Psalms was written, a man arrived in Jerusalem. His name was Jesus. And he began saying radical things like, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again. And the Jewish leaders scoffed and they said, it's taken 46 years to build the temple 
You know, how are you going to raise it up in three days? And Jesus made it clear that when he talked about the temple, he wasn't talking about a building in Israel. He was talking about his own body. That soon it would be destroyed at the crucifixion, but three days later it would be raised in resurrection. And what we've got to understand now is in the New Testament, under the New Testament, in this new covenant since Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ is the new and better temple of God. And just as the psalmist could meet God in the temple of Israel, we now meet God in the temple of Jesus Christ. And just like there was an altar in the temple of Israel where sacrifices could be made, so too there was an altar of sacrifice for Jesus Christ. It wasn't the front of a stage in a church building. It was a cross hanging on a hill in Calvary where the ultimate sacrifice was made for the forgiveness of sins, where Jesus Christ laid himself down in our place as a substitute to pay the penalty for your sin. And when you come to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place for your sin, the scripture says that when you believe in Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. And when your sins will be forgiven, your relationship with God is restored as the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And you are joined to the Lord. You come to have life in Christ, life in the new and better temple. If you want God's presence in your life, you must meet him in the true temple, the person of Jesus Christ. See, we've been talking all about longing for God's presence. That's what Psalm 84 is all about, longing for the presence of God. And that's how this psalm ties into Christmas. Because like the psalmist, many of us long to be with God. But at Christmas and in the birth of Jesus Christ, we realize that God came to be with us. He is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you will always have the presence of God with you, whatever you're going through. And that, my church family, is what the truly blessed life really is. I hope that you are blessed with life in Jesus today. Lord, thank you for this time to open your word. Thank you for this time to look at Psalm 84. Lord, it is um, that for some of us, the honest posture of our heart today is one of where we feel distant from you. We, we know you're here, but it doesn't always feel like you're close. And so, Lord, I pray for those who know you today that they would experience your presence as they choose to praise your name. I pray, Lord, that, that those who may feel distant from you would experience your presence as they find their strength in you when they're weak. I pray, Lord, that they would experience your presence when they choose to trust in you in their times of need. And Lord, if there are people here today who, honestly, they've just never had a sense of closeness with you in their life, I ask, Lord, today that you would become very personal to them. And like the psalmist, they could cry out, my Lord and my God, as they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that maybe somebody who's listening today would cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior and maybe could go into this particular Christmas season for the first time personally experiencing you at Christmas. I pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.